You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Inside and outside the Fox 59 CBS4 Podcast Studio, this is the Colts Blue Zone Podcast. One week from the NFL Draft. Thanks for joining us alongside Mike Chappell and Joe Hopkins. I am Dave Griffiths. Big show on tap for Colts fans as we discuss draft trades potentially that could impact the Colts. We'll explore more mock drafts with our weekly mock draft roundup as new ones pop up or analysts update their own mock drafts over the past couple weeks. We'll break down this draft's cornerback and tight end classes, a couple positions that quite a few mock drafters have the Colts focusing in on, whether it's in the first round or in the early rounds of this draft. But first, we'll start with the news around the league and specifically news relating to the Indianapolis Colts. They do re-sign corner T.J. Carey to a reported one-year, $1 million deal. Uh, Carey was certainly valuable for the Colts last year, had two interceptions. One of them returned for a touchdown in that uh, massive win over the New York Jets. Um, 30 years old, he had 27 tackles in 15 games last season, so he was used in limited fashion, but... Uh, Mike, when the Colts had a couple injuries to their cornerback uh, cornerback room, he came in and played more. He was a guy they brought in from Cleveland to be able to be more of an inside corner because we saw what happened two years ago when Kenny Moore got hurt and they completely stumbled down the stretch and really didn't have anybody that could be an interior corner or a um, or a sufficient interior corner, I should say. Uh, so uh, to bring back TJ, it certainly. It certainly bolsters the depth of that position since he has some flexibility to play inside and outside. Um, I'm not entirely sure this would be a move that just completely says, oh, okay, your quarterback position is done. You can focus elsewhere in the draft, though. Um, but nevertheless, T.J. Carey is coming back to the Colts for his second year. Yeah, this is one that doesn't really resonate over the NFL. You know, it's a one-year, one million. It's, it's just a guy sort of signing. But to, for the Colts, it's pretty, it's pretty important to have that depth. Because, like you said, we've seen what happens when you don't have the depth. So, I, again, I think it's uh, he, he was one of the steals last year in the offseason. He came in and played really well. They won, Like you said, they wanted that backup nickel for Kenny Moore. And uh, we can talk about it later on when we talk about corners. But, no, this n- neither the T.J. Carey signing or the Xavier Rhodes signing probably doesn't impact what the Colts might want to do. They're both free agents at the end of next year and a year older. So it, it, it's funny. And, again, we'll talk about it more later. But when we talked to Jim Mercy recently, he talked about – sometimes you, 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 you can read things into quotes and sometimes you can't. But he said, you know, that the important positions that, that the Colts need to look at are left tackle, edge rusher, and he threw cornerback in there. So whenever the owner just throws positions out there, it means there's been talk about it. So – uh, we can talk about it in, in a minute, but cornerback is the key position that they've addressed in the offseason, and they still might address later on uh, in, a, in a week. Joe, when you continue to look at corner on the Colts, I mean, they, they have pretty much their entire uh, sl- entire roster back from last year. I mean, you still have Xavier Rhodes, who resigned. You have Rocky Seen on the other side. You have T.J. Carey and Kenny Moore there. You have Isaiah Rogers, who was your rookie last year, and also the um, the kick returner. Um, plus you get Marvell tell back since he opted out for the year. I mean, there, there's still a lot of people that there's some young kids in the secondary, young kids, uh, young guys in the secondary, uh, that, that have potential, but 
Um, it, it, when, when there's a lot of potential as the backup, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're all locked in on the position. You could say the same thing at the defensive end, really, in this Colt, in the Colts class. You think there's a lot of young guys, Joe, that, that could do some, some good things, but that doesn't mean you're all set and you certainly don't, you're, you're not looking that way when the draft comes around. I was very happy to hear that TJ Carey was coming back because he was, I think, serviceable. Serviceable yeah, is yeah. a perfect word for Carey. I mean, when he's out there, he's not going to move the needle for you that much, but he's not a liability either. And we saw at times when Rocky Sin struggled last season, Carey kind of got more snaps than he did at certain points uh, during the year. So I think it's good to have him back. Bringing back Carey and Rhodes on one-year deals certainly makes – it would make the corner picking cornerback in the first round a luxury pick. Because they're, they're, they're pretty set for 2020. Um, they don't have their long-term outside cornerback starters settled yet. But as far as 2020 goes, they're in pretty good shape. So if they want to take a corner maybe later in the draft, and we can talk about all these scenarios later, that would be nice. But it's certainly not one of their bigger needs when you compare it to tackle and defensive end, which is where you want to be. Also, NFL.com's Ian Rappaport reports this week that left tackle free agent Alejandro Villanueva played for the Steelers last year, is visiting Baltimore this week. And uh, that's also uh, newsworthy because, of course, as we've said on this show before, uh, that Baltimore Ravens tackle Orlando Brown, who's been the right tackle for years but shifted over to left tackle last year after an injury, has been uh, very earnestly uh, requesting a trade, we shall say, because he wants to play left tackle full time because he came in, uh, stepped in last year and uh, was was more than serviceable. If we use a word that Joe just used for TJ Care, he was much more than serviceable at left tackle. And Brown is in one more year of his uh, rookie contract, his fourth year uh, here. That is probably, I think, I was looking at spot rack earlier today. I think it's about three and a half million dollars in this his last year of his rookie deal. So, um, you look at the options the Colts uh, would have. We talked about Orlando Brown being an option. Of course, we talked uh, tons about the uh, offensive tackles in this year's draft class. I believe that was two podcasts ago. And I'll also use this opportunity to remind you all listening that you can go and download those old, uh, those older podcasts from a week ago when we uh, really uh, dove deep into defensive ends. Two weeks ago, we dove deep into offensive tackles. Um, and, uh, and listen to all those uh, to get kind of a more uh, all-encompassing look at all these positions that the Colts uh, could have potential interest in near the top of the draft. But, uh, Chap, when it comes to Orlando Brown, we, we've, we've said before that we, we think that he'd be a really good really good acquisition. He showed last year that he was, he was, he was a very good left tackle in the NFL, but also you're going to have to spend a bunch of resources to bring him in because a it's a trade that he wants to come in he's not a free agent right now you just can't go sign him so you need to give up some 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 capital and two you're going to need to pay him pretty much right away kind of similar to what the situation was to Forrest Buckner last year the Colts traded for him and then signed him to an extension Mike I think it would be a very similar situation if they wanted to go the Orlando Brown route yeah it just doesn't work on two tiers the two-tier compensation one is the, the 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 draft capital it would take to get a starting, you know, Pro Bowl caliber tackle, who's going to be your left tackle, and and, and then the compensation. What what's the starting left tackle going to go for? Seventeen, eighteen million dollars, uh, and this is on a line that's already got the highest paid or one of the highest paid centers. Uh, Quentin Nelson's going to be the highest paid football player, perhaps hmm. outside a quarterback, and you're going to pay Braden Smith. So it just doesn't work. Uh, what I'm interested in 
is let's say that for whatever reason they don't come out of this draft with a left tackle, which I think it'll be a mistake. Then do you turn to one of these old, these older established veterans, Villanueva or what Russell Okun or somebody, and let's say you go and, and Villanueva is still out there. What are these guys going to get after the draft? What's a Justin Houston at defensive end? What's a Villanueva going to get after the draft? When teams have their rosters pretty well set, but more than that, where, where teams have already got their budgets pretty well, you know, planned out. What's Villanueva going to get? Uh, six million? I don't know. So uh, that, that's why so much of what the culture are needing to do at tackle, it needs to be the draft. Round one, round two. This is a deep enough draft. Round two could work. But Orlando Brown, it just it would look great having him out there. It just doesn't work. I would say, you know, the thing about Orlando Brown, what's interesting to me uh, relative to the Colts is what if he does get traded to a team needing a left tackle, picking ahead of the Colts? I think of the Chargers at 13. They desperately need a left tackle. Instead of relying on a rookie, you know, they got their quarterback on a rookie contract. What if they go, okay, we can afford to pay Orlando Brown left starting left tackle money, and then all of a sudden we have our uh, blindside protector for Justin Herbert, and that's just one less left tackle um, being picked off the board before the Colts are drafting at 21. So there, there are interesting ways how this could impact Indianapolis in the offensive line shuffle. In that, in, that more, scenario, yeah, in, that, in that scenario, though, if I'm a team taking or picking top 15 and I really like a tackle, I take him because I'd rather have that guy on a five-year rookie deal than paying Orlando Brown the kind of money he's going to get. But, but you know, if you can make it work, I would always rather have the proven player. I'd always rather have a DeForest Buckner. But at least as we talked, for the Colts, it doesn't work. Another team, like you said, if they've got the money and they've got the quarterback, and they really want to, they they want to know that they've got that protector. That's what you do again, just, just to beat the dead horse. The Colts are not in that position, and they will benefit if some team does that. Looking around, one more bit of procedural note before we uh, kind of uh, go into the draft. Um, the two, a pair of Colts uh, wide receiver Zach Pascal and cornerback uh safety rather george odom did sign their uh restricted free agent tenders this week um that like i said is is more of a procedural uh note than anything else but uh, certainly was noteworthy that uh, george odom as we know was not overly happy with his uh, restricted free agent tender tweeted out earlier this this year that uh <laughs> as much but hey uh, a- after he signs he-, he tweets out he's ready to go so so who rob we're, we're, we're in it to win it and uh that um, a, I'm sure that he would have wanted a a better offer, but but that's what you get for a uh, even in, for, even for an All Pro special teamer. Um, that's what uh, the tender that uh, f- that Odom, excuse me, got from the Colts, and and we move on. And I'm sure that a lot of Colts fans are happy to have Zach Pascal back for another year too, because although you don't want him as your wide receiver one, he 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 is tremendous as your wide receiver three or four, whoever that is, and coming in in a blocking situation, and even to be able to do more than that when asked. So, so anyway, uh, back to the draft. As uh, we're talking about what could potentially impact the Colts, um, there's there's plenty of plenty of news, and it's hard to determine at this point what is real and what is smoke screens and what is teams throwing out there just to try to shake things up and see what uh, could uh, come out of things. But um, different reports from uh, from respectable 
uh, NFL reporters such as Ian Rappaport of NFL Network, ESPN's Adam Schefter, saying teams like the Dolphins at 6, the Panthers at 8, the Giants at 11 are all interested in trading down. And that's no surprise because those are positions where teams could jump up to take a quarterback if a quarterback falls to 6, 8, or 11, whatever it might be. Uh, Chap, I I don't know how much this impacts the Colts because I I would – I would bet my left arm that Chris Ballard is not working to draft to trade up in this draft. But if teams trade up, that just means probably more quarterbacks would go higher. If that puts Mac Jones up there in the top 10, 15, whereas if nobody traded up, maybe he would be falling back there to to 30 or whatever. Hey, that that's another quarterback taken up there that pushes some of the other top tier players back down. So so to me, the more trades that happen in front of you, if you're the Colts, at least this is my opinion, the better chance you have, I think, of getting especially an offensive tackle that you might have. Because I don't know how many people are going to be trading up to take an offensive tackle in the first round. I'd likely think people are trading up to take a quarterback or likely a, uh, a skill player uh, that or, or a skill player that uh, particularly stands out to him if it's like a Jalen Waddle or something like that. I don't know if you agree, but uh, but that that's at least the, what first comes to my mind when teams are trying to trade up into the to the six to fifteen range. Yeah, I, I think Joe, Joe could have added that the Dolphins, Panthers, Giants are all interested in trading down. I think the Colts will be too. I think there's a decent chance. I, I don't know out of the out of round one. I hope we're not sitting there all night. What is it on Friday or on Thursday? And then, you know, there, there's no pick. But I think with the depth, with the depth at left tackle, at offensive tackle, and the, I don't know if I call it depth, but the uncertainty at, at pass rush with so many red flags on so many players, I think that there's a chance that whatever the Colts get at 21, they can get at 26 or 27 or 28. I wouldn't want to fall back too far because when you, when you fall back, you're getting a lesser player. You just are. Uh, but I think the the depth is conducive to trading back, and and I'm sure Ballard and the Colts would love to recoup that third round pick. I I really I, I don't know what it would take to to get the third round pick. Joe probably has a better idea. But with only six picks, it's the fewest he's had. Chris Ballard's had. I think the Colts are going to be one of those teams interested in at least looking at the possibility of sliding back three, four, five, six spots. Yeah, every year Chris Ballard has made at least eight draft picks in his time as Colts general manager. And as you mentioned, Mike, he only has six going into this draft. So I fully expect some trades to be made, whether that's the first round pick that they have at 21 or the second round pick that they have. What is it, 54, somewhere around that range? Yeah. So, so Joe, I mean, I'll throw it to you. I mean, the more, the more teams, the more trades that happen above the Colts, I think the better it is for them just because I don't know how many people are going to be trading up to take offensive tackles. That's quite, not quite as sexy of a pick there in the first round to, to go up and really make a strong move for. So I, I I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but I, but I, that just seems to make a little sense to me that, uh, that trades in front of you could be a good thing. So the more you hear there's been a trade or whatever on, on draft night, uh, you could, could be licking your chops a little bit more if you're a Colts fan and you hope to get that left tackle of the future there in the first round. No, I'm with you on that, Dave. I think, uh, I think you're right. I don't think the trade-ups are going to be for these offensive tackles. I think they're going to be for positions, either quarterback, obviously a team that needs a quarterback or 
one of these players that a team deems as elite in a game changer, like a Waddle, as he mentioned. Maybe Kyle Pitts starts to slip in the top 10 and someone thinks he's worth going up for and getting the next Travis Kelsey or Darren Waller or whatever. Um, who knows? Maybe uh, maybe Devontae Smith from Alabama starts to fall and the team trades up for him. I think it came out today that he only weighs 166 pounds, mm. so maybe some teams won't be interested in that and some other team goes, we don't care, we see how good he is, and trades up to get the player that they deem as elite. I think all that has a trickle-down effect and could mean a player or two that should and is valued higher falls down to the Colts because of uh, because of the positions that teams value. One one thing, Dave, real quick on the trading back, Stephen Holder, one of our buddies uh, from the season with the Athletic, did a really good story on Chris Ballard's uh, uh, trading back. I think he's he's traded back and given up eleven picks in trading back, and gotten nineteen picks in return. And among the players he's gotten from trading back, Quentin Nelson, Braden Smith, Marlon Mack, and Anthony Walker, and, and a few more other than that. So, you know, they've not only traded back to get more. It, it, it's not getting more picks. It's what do you do with them. So, uh, again, they, they've been pretty good about, about figuring out what's best to do. And I just think the way this draft's working out, being where they are, they're not going to trade. They're not going to trade up. I, I don't even see them trading up two spots to get a tackle that's still there and you're afraid that the Bears or somebody are going to claim. But uh, and we can talk a lot more about this next week. We, we get we talked to Chris Ballard on Friday, and he's he'll say a lot of things very nicely and say nothing in the process. But I think this is, this is an ideal situation to trade back. So that brings us to our mock draft roundup. Uh, several mock drafts that we will bring up this week, as we have every week over the past uh, month or so leading up to the NFL draft. And uh, we'll go through some of these choices. And then afterward, we will break down which ones we all would prefer, I guess, if you're an Indianapolis Colts fan here. So let's start from the top. NFL.com's Peter Schrager has the horseshoe selecting Georgia edge rusher Aziz Ojolari. And uh, Ojolari is uh, what what he says is improved every season at Georgia and uh, sounds like a bona fide first round prospect as the draft approaches. CBS's Pete Prisco, same pick. Ojolari uh, notes the Colts need to upgrade their pass rush. I think we can all agree with that. And uh, Ojolari is a rising player with raw talent. Um, Pro Football Focus, Steve Palazzo says the Colts take Penn State defensive end Jason Owe, who I uh, affectionately deemed, yes, uh, Jason Owe, because he had zero sacks last year. Zero sacks. But for some reason, people still view him as a first-round edge pass rush uh, prospect there. So, okay, if you, if you insist. He, he's, he's a mammoth athlete. I'll give him that. I'll give you that. I'll also give you zero sacks last year in the Big Ten. It's re- isn't isn't it hard to get past zero sacks? I mean, yeah, I, it's it's impossible it, for me. It is literally impossible. I understand that sometimes we put too much on numbers and production, but if you if you're a big play receiver and you have no touchdowns, or, or, or running back and you have no big runs, it tells you something. So again, this this guy might be. The second coming of Dwight Freeney, but 
have a sack or two. Get you know, apparently again he he had good good presence and good pocket pressure. Finish the deal. I mean, one, two. I don't know. Fall into one. Yeah, you would expect so. You would certainly expect so. And, uh, would your guys' attitude be different if this was a second round pick? No. Yes, I think. Well, well I think okay, a little I, bit I guess, but, but go ahead, Mike. But but still zero. I, I think. Uh, uh, so so what you're drafting on totally is the athleticism, and we think this guy is really going to translate and take off. Second round, maybe, but I I, I would I would have a problem. I, I, I've talked to so many GMs, whether it's Bill Polian or one of these, and they say let let the college tape and the player's career and the production be the overriding factor. Don't get blinded by pro days and combines. And this this is one's going to be a really hard choice for someone to pull the trigger on because you're banking on something that you haven't seen yet as far as finishing your pass rush. I didn't mean to get too too much into Oli. I know that you guys talked about him last week as you got into defensive ends, but uh, you brought up Syracuse's own Dwight Freeney there. So uh, I'll just point out that his production as his senior year in college was a 17 and a half sacks while yes. setting the NCAA record for fumbles forced and recovered in the season with 11 total there. So so that's production. That is first round worthy production <laughs> from a young man out of Syracuse University. So then we move on to ESPN's Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay in their three-round joint mock draft. Of course, the Colts with only first and second round picks made those two. Again, I think none of us on this uh, podcast here would be surprised if some trades give the Colts a, a sec- an extra second or an extra third round pick here. But uh, just standing pat, uh, Kuyper and McShay jointly have the Colts in round one selecting Miami defensive end Jalen Phillips. Um, Phillips uh, has a history of injuries and he medically retired from football when he was at UCLA. So if, if there are no, like if, um, if zero sacks is a red flag for on the field uh, production, uh, retiring from football is a red flag from off the field uh, issues as well. Even you can, you can count injuries on the field stuff too, I guess, technically. But uh, um, McShay and Kuyper still say there's no denying his pass rush traits. And in the second round, they have North Dakota State offensive tackle uh, Dylan Radens uh, selected there from the Colts at 54. Um, the Draft Network's Ben Solak has uh, the Colts selecting Alabama tackle Alex Leatherwood in the first round. Um, notes that Leatherwood tested better than he thought. Multiple years of starting experience. Uh, has good length in a generally stubby, that's, uh, again, his word, stubby offensive tackle class, and uh, thinks that Leatherwood is pro-ready, which makes sense for the Colts. Uh, And in the second round, uh, Solak has the Colts taking cornerback out of Washington, Elijah Molden. Uh, So, Chap, when you look at these positions right here, uh, any one of them stand out to you as particularly good for the Colts? I think we all, or at least you and me in particular, are like are, are not quite sold on pro football focuses. Steve Palazzo, uh, Palazzolo, yeah, that guy, his uh, choice of Penn State. <laughs> PFF Steve. Yes. Uh, blah, 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 uh, uh, of, uh, of Owie there. But, uh, but other than that, uh, any of those stand out as particularly uh, good or bad in your mind? Only because of the positions I'd take. Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay, where the, the, this was an alternate pick draft, if I'm not mistaken. And right. uh, you, you're getting, you know, not knowing what you're getting, I mean, other than what the Colts believe, you're, you're getting your pass rusher and your left tackle. 
I'm not sure I've seen anyone take Dylan uh, Radnaz that that high. Maybe Joe can can correct me, but I've seen I've seen a couple mock drafts. I thought maybe Mel Kiper's own mock draft was Phillips, and then was it Cosme or 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 Eichenberg at, 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 at 54? So I, I like I like the progression to go on edge rusher and then tackle. I'm not sure I'd settle on the North Dakota State kid, but I, I like that progression, that priority. Yeah, you look at these, uh, Joe, and there's a lot of edge rushers there that are taking, uh, being taken at 21. And I, I think a lot of these guys are under the impression that probably the top offensive tackles, and by that I mean um, uh, Sewell out of Oregon, um, Slater out of uh, Northwestern, and then Darisaw out of Virginia Tech and uh, Vera Tucker out of um, out of USC. Those are probably the top four offensive tackles in this year's class. If you assume that all four of those guys are gone by 21, then the best option there for the Colts is probably defensive end, um, perhaps. I mean, you, you got the Draft Network's Ben Solak disagreeing and then, and then taking Alex Leatherwood. But uh, with, with all these edge rushers uh, as a choice, uh, any of those edge rushers in particular that you like, that you think would be um, the best option for the Colts based on what we have here in our mock draft roundup? Well, I'm not going to go with Oway because I might get kicked off the podcast. You might. Um, <laughs> you might. <laughs> I, I, I agree with uh, Chap. I really like uh, Kuiper and McShay. So you get Phillips in uh, uh, the first round who, if it wasn't for the injuries, might be a top 10, top 15 player, and for a Colts team ready to win now, maybe his career is shortened to four, five, six years, but if he gives you a good four, five, six years and good pass rush early in his career, it may be worth it. And then uh, Dylan Radens, Mike kind of talked about him not going so high. He's probably a second to third round player. There's questions about how pro ready he is, so I'm not sure how that fits with the Colts who need a left tackle right now. Um, you know, some of his concerns are his play strength and his size. He needs to pack on weight and muscle, um, which, I mean, you can do in a matter of a few months, but it'd be difficult for him to be ready uh, to be the Colts' starting left tackle. But I kind of like that one the best. I hate Ben Solex. I think Leatherwood is an absolute reach at 21. In this scenario, if the Colts did say, okay, Leatherwood's the best available, they'd probably trade back, take him in the second round and gain an extra second or third rounder in the process. And then Elijah Molden, I mean, he's 5'9", he ran a 4'5'8", he's a slot cornerback. Uh, the Colts already have Kenny Moore, so that pick just doesn't fit what the Colts want to do at all. So I, 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 that's my favorite and least favorite in this group of mock drafts. Yeah, I got you there. I did, uh, as, as, I, as you saw, Joe, the other day, I did the, uh, the Pro Football Focus, uh, their, their draft machine there. And uh, in the in the process of making two trades to move back to 39 overall, that's when I took Leatherwood in that one. That would be a much much better place, I think, um, to take to take Leatherwood and where he where he seems to go. But um, 100. percent I haven't. Yeah, seen I don't too hate many Leatherwood. Round. Yeah, exactly. I just don't see him taking too much in the first round by anybody. Mm -mm. So. And and I'll also add that uh, I was just on a conference call with NFL Network's uh, Daniel Jeremiah, and he was talking a little bit about uh, North Dakota State tackle Dylan Radens, and he says he has him around the 40s right now, uh, but he thinks uh, next week when he uh, finishes his his top prospects, he's going to move into uh, to the mid or even the high 30s. So he he actually thinks uh, Radens is ascending a little bit in his um, in his rankings, but nevertheless, that that doesn't mean he's a first round. Um, first round guy uh but here being taken in round two 
perhaps a good spot. Perhaps. Um, out, out of all these, yeah, I, I like the the Kuiper and McShay just because you know um, who they have in the second round. I guess specifically, you get the edge, you get the tackle, um, and, and and I can live with Jalen Phillips. Like like Joe said, I think uh, if you uh, if you put the injuries aside, he would probably be a top ten pick. But as our very own Mike Chapel likes to point out, that's like asking, uh, "Hey, Mrs. Lincoln, how'd you like the play besides the finish?" Um, so it, it's it's just it's it, it's hard to separate uh, the, the injuries from from who, the prospect that is Jalen Phillips. Um, is the risk worth it at twenty one? And and I don't know if it is, especially if you're if you're Chris Ballard, especially knowing Chris Ballard as as we do, um, just how risk adverse would he be to taking a guy like that near the end of the first round? He would have to be darn sure that those injury issues are in the past. And I just don't know that you can be darn sure that those injury issues are in the past. So one thing, maybe Joe's got a better read on it. So, yeah, with concussions, this isn't like we really think this guy'll come back from this this torn hamstring or right. a high, it, it, it's concussions. And as much as they think they know about concussions, there's so much they don't know. But I'm wondering, Joe, can you remember a time recently when the pass rush group has had so much, these guys have high ceilings, but there's no, there's no guy you can say, you know, this guy, he's got it all. Again, I'm not saying it's because there's no Boses in this, but almost every one of these guys has not just a you know a, a small red flag. They got significant questions. It just seems a strange year for pass rushers. It really is. I think part of that was the strange year in general in college football. Like there was a few opt outs with uh, Russo being one of them. If he came back and showed that he can put up double-digit sacks again in 2020 like he did in 2019, there might be less question marks around him. But you're right. Every single one of these guys is kind of like a you, you, anything before being picked in the 20s almost seems like a reach because of their question marks surrounding their games. I mean, uh, Aziz Ojulari was picked for a, a couple of these mocks here, but he kind of seems to me more of a like a 3-4 outside linebacker. He's about in the 240s. Um, not overly big there, but he does have the speed and athleticism that a Chris Ballard might like off the edge and say, screw it. I just want somebody who can pin their ears back and go get the quarterback. So I don't think that's the greatest fit in our 4-3 system, but it, you know, if they just want a pure pass rusher, maybe they go for it. I, as much as you guys hate it, I think the guy who screams Chris Ballard is Jason Owe. Oh, Joe. I, I, I just do. He's going, I mean, he's going there. He's going there. I do. I mean, listen, Big Ten had a shortened season. Maybe if they had an extra game or two, oh, he might have got sack. two, two sacks. Yeah, yeah. sack. <laughs> Komoko Ture had like two sacks in his final year at a, at a Rutgers. It was two or three. So I think he, there's a chance he falls in love with the traits. Um, I don't think it would be at 21. I think right. it would be a trade back scenario. And in basically all these players' cases, except maybe Phillips, Phillips is the one who most seems ready to produce year one which i think the colts could get behind if they can uh, talk themselves out of the injury concerns so that's our mock draft roundup for this colts blue zone podcast we encourage you to follow us on twitter at colts blue zone maybe get a couple more mock drafts tweeted out on a daily or whatever basis whenever they pop up whenever joe sees them for the most part 
Um, and we'll now dive more into the 2021 class of cornerbacks. Do cornerbacks first, then get into tight ends a little bit, a couple positions that uh, several uh, analysts, including us, think the Colts would uh, would benefit from taking in this draft. And uh, we'll, we'll start with the top-tier corner. Joe, you only have one guy in your top tier in corners this year, uh, even though there's, there's probably going to be at least four first-round picks as corners, four, I would four, say. Four, maybe five. Yeah, maybe yeah. five. So, so it's another, like offensive tackle, it seems like another one that's pretty deep in this class. But, uh, but, for, but for you, at, at least, uh, you think that probably one guy stands out above, uh, above the rest of them. Yeah, I think Alabama's Patrick Sertan has kind of separated himself from the rest of the group. And there's, there's kind of like a big three with Sertan, Horn, and uh, Caleb Farley. But Sertan's kind of on his tier of his own just because he has less questions. I mean, from his pro day, I mean, 4'4", 240, 39-inch vertical. He's six foot two. Um, he's at Alabama where he's coached up. He's just so technically uh, proficient. Um, I mean, he may never be like a elite top level defensive MVP caliber player, but he's probably going to be a above average to very good cornerback for a long time. If you can get like a Vontae Davis uh, description there, that, that's an above average cornerback for, for a long time, at least until he walks out in the middle of the uh, middle of a game. And retires. <laughs> like, I'm done. Yeah. I'm done, and, and he's like, ah, I'm enough with this. Uh, but anyway, uh, chap, one thing I found interesting about this cornerback class, and I don't know if like if it's if it's worth discussing all that much, but you have Patrick Sertan, you have J.C. Horn, you have uh, Asante Samuel, all guys whose fathers played in the NFL. It's just really unique to me that you have three guys who are possible first round picks at corner that uh, that had fathers play in the NFL. That's really cool. Yeah, it is. And we go back to uh, last year with Michael Pittman. His dad, what he won the Super Bowl, didn't he? With right. with, with Tampa, right. I think I think what that reflects is how old we are. Is yeah. that, that, <laughs> that we that we were around when their dads played, but yeah, it, it just shows you the uh, the environment you come from and the impact or the direction you have from your dad matters, and it's just kind of cool to see this. Other what J C Horn being a being a corner and his dad was a Pretty doggone good receiver. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's strange dynamic, but yeah, it's, it's kind of. We've had this the last couple of years, and we're going to continue to see it. But uh, I, I know Edgar James has a, a son who's a running back. Maybe we'll see him in three or four years in the draft as well. My my favorite Joe Horn moment, as I'm sure you all would agree, is him taking the flip phone out from underneath the. Uh, the uh what's it called the uprights after scoring a touchdown yeah the padding and bring it out and just just chatting it up after after scoring a touchdown (laughs) there probably on a pass from aaron brooks if i remember from uh from my fantasy days of drafting joe horn or aaron brooks way back there in the uh, early 2000s perhaps or even before that so uh so yeah Joe Horn, I, if, if I, I, I can get behind J.C. Horn because I, I have a love for his dad. I had him on a couple of different fantasy teams. But, um, but anyway, the, a good thing about J.C. Horn that Joe notes here, the only wide receiver to ever record 50-plus yards in a game against him is Devontae Smith, the, uh, the Heisman Trophy winner. And Smith only had 60. So, so that's not too bad uh, for a guy who's 
probably going to be a top 20 pick, J.C. Horn out of South Carolina. Also, you mentioned Virginia Tech's Caleb Farley. And all three of these guys, by the way, 6'1", 6'2", guys, 200-plus. So they're all big corners, Joe. They're all outside corners. I know you had said a, a knock against Elijah Molden earlier uh, from uh, the Draft Network's Ben Solak's mock draft was he's a smaller guy. Like, those three guys are really big, uh, big corners, more outside corners uh, than inside. And if you go down below then to the to the two guys after that, Greg Newsom only six feet, so a little bit shorter. And Florida State's Asante Samuel Jr., 5'10", a little bit even shorter than that. Certainly undersized more so than the big corner. And, and we do know that Chris Ballard definitely likes his measurables and thinks they are important. And especially if you're taking a guy in the first or second round, I think he's really going to pay attention to that. So even if you go down to a Greg Newsom or Asante Samuel, I think it probably a little bit less likely that Ballard would consider one of those two in the first round, and more likely if Horner, Farley, or even Sertan fall, that he, he, he might uh, jump on one of those guys if, uh, in fact, the, their board uh, is, is in line with that idea. Yeah, if they you know have their board set. Before his injury, Caleb Farley is a really exciting player. Um, yeah. He didn't work out as pro day because he had a procedure for uh, disc issues in his back, which you know back problems are are, are always kind of scary because they're something that can keep popping up time and time again. And he also tore his ACL as a freshman. Uh, came to college actually playing on offense, so he's only played cornerback for two years. But his physical tools how have allowed him to excel at cornerback. I mean, six two. Uh, over 33-inch arms. He ran a 4-2-8 40-yard dash before um, the procedure. So with his back, something wrong in his back, he ran a 4-2-8. So the size, speed, athleticism, uh, the upside's off the charts with Farley. And a lot of people, including uh, Daniel Jeremiah, who you said you spoke to, had Farley as his top cornerback before the injury concerns kind of crept up. So maybe the Colts, if they're okay with the the back issues and they get to 21 and they go, Caleb Farley is a guy who in three years might be the best cornerback in the NFL. We're going to take him regardless of our other needs. Uh, That's something that if it works out, they look like geniuses. If they don't, they look like idiots. But, I mean, that's something I think the Colts would consider at 21 if he's available. And, Chap, as we're going into this draft, I think it's good to bring up a point that we made earlier just to stress it a little bit more. Even though the Colts seem set in 2020 at cornerback with all these a couple of one-year deals that they've made, their future at cornerback is is anything but set. Um, Rocky Yassin's future is very much dependent on what's going to happen this year, and uh, this offseason would certainly help him in establishing uh, his future uh, on the roster as well. But, uh, but you look at guys who are cornerbacks who are signed long-term with the Colts, I mean, Kenny Moore, but he's the inside guy. You, you probably want some more stability on the outside if you can get it. it, it first round, I think we all agree that we would look elsewhere ideally, but nevertheless, if one of these corners you just have way up on your board and he falls, um, it, it might be hard to pass up. Yeah, and again, they like Marvell Tell, but uh, he's still a converted safety that was learning his right. position as a rookie, and then he opts out. One thing to keep in mind, I was looking at the, the Colts draft roundup since 1984. They've taken two cornerbacks in round one. I believe uh, Coleman, uh, Leonard Coleman in 84, I think was one of them. And the other one might have been uh, Marlon Jackson. I think he was drafted as a corner, not a safety. In 2005, so it's very, very rare 
Uh, again, that will have zero bearing on what Chris Ballard does. If they're sitting there at 21 and they've got a corner, Farley or Newsom or whomever, who they've got ranked so much higher than anybody else, they'll take him. Uh, but again, with, with a team that is very, very – it's clear they believe they're ready to win now. And by now, I'm meaning this year and the next three or four years. The, the idea that you keep, that you don't address the two main positions, people are going to get tired of hearing it until the Colts address it. But left tackle and, and edge rusher, until you if you don't get those two signed – then, then what, what's a long-term corner going to do for you? So I think they might be a prisoner to some in, in some form of, of their needs as much as I don't know the teams are driven by needs as much as, as we are. But I would be surprised at corner only because of the serious voids at the two positions we've talked to death. Let's talk uh, Florida State corner Asante Samuel Jr. real quick before moving into the expected day two picks. Joe, I think something that stood out here among the stats that you uh, had listed was he had the lowest passer rating when targeted in the red zone since 2019, so in the past two years, among Power 5 cornerbacks, and that passer rating was only 23.8. So he's a smaller guy, like I mentioned earlier, 5'10", only 180 pounds, maybe lining up more as an interior corner or, or an undersized outside corner. But, uh, but one of the benefits that he has there is, um, is his quick reaction, and he can move with you. He can change directions. He can react well. He can close, um, and, and you get that from, re- uh, from his stats in the red zone. He's really good there. So that, that means he can stick to you um, in, in a box, and you need that from corners, uh, obviously, and that's probably one of the reasons why NFL teams consider him to be perhaps an end-of-the-first-round selection. Oh, yeah, and, you know, it's always a... Um... It can be odd sometimes comparing a player to their father, but he plays very similar to how Asante Samuel played. I mean, Who was a great corner. Yes. Excellent corner and one of the best uh, uh, turnover machines in the NFL. And, and the way he plays is he'll stick with you, stick with you, stick with you. But then he has that tremendous burst at the end where his feet are just quicker than yours. And when the ball is coming, he just makes that little close on the ball quicker than, than the receiver does. And like you said, that's highlighted in the red zone and short area where his quick feet make the difference when only an inch or two could be the difference between a touchdown or knocking the pass away. Um, and he's very adamant, Asante Samuel Jr. is, that he can play on the outside. He noted uh, um, Jair Alexander with the, the um, oh, Green Bay Packers, who's played on the outside besides being only about five foot ten. And his dad did it. He played on the outside, even though he was only about 5'10". So it, it would certainly benefit him to be a little taller, but I do think he has a skill set to still play outside cornerback. So those are really the first, uh, the more widely regarded first-round picks that we've got into. We can mention Greg Newsom quickly, a 4'3", so another really fast, really fast player. Had uh, 10 passes defended, one interception in six games. And he only allowed one touchdown in 471 coverage snaps over the past two years, according to Pro Football Focus. So that's, again, a, real, a really great trait. Uh, he only allowed one, one guy one time in the end zone over that long a period of time. Uh, again, he's six foot as well, so a little bit taller than Samuel. Got yeah. a little bit slightly better numbers, uh, but, but I get right there. I Tredavious White vibes from him. Okay. Just Not kind too of a shabby. Play- yeah, just kind of a player who, you know, he, he doesn't have overwhelming size or anything, just kind of average size, six foot, 
just under 200, but he just kind of does everything well. Uh, he could play zone well. He can line up man-to-man. He just doesn't have a whole lot of weaknesses, and that kind of reminds me of Trey White. He just does everything well, shows up to work, and gets it done. Now let's look at some of the possible second-day picks, guys who could be a second-round or third-round selection, at least according to most mocks and most rankings out there. Um, we mentioned Washington's Elijah Molden already, uh, more of a projected slot corner, as Joe said, and with a 4-5-8 40-yard dash. That, to, to me, that's not really lining up to what Chris Ballard would, would want in that position. I, I would find it hard uh, a hard sell that Molden would be brought into the Colts in, in a second-round pick, especially with all your other uh, needs right there. Some other possible choices, Kentucky's Kelvin Joseph, uh, 5'11.5", 4'35", 40-yard dash at his pro day. Uh, a note from NFL.com, he's a tall, fluid cornerback with excellent ball skills. Tape is very inconsistent, but it's easy to get excited about his upside. So he's a guy who needs to come in and and fix a couple things probably in his mechanics to improve that consistency. And uh, so if you if you have faith in your cornerback coach and your defensive coordinator, then Kelvin Joseph is a possibility for sure. Uh, UCF's Aaron Robinson, uh, again, another 5'11 and a half, another 4'3'8", right below 4'4", uh, corner, uh, a cornerback prospect with both inside and outside potential, according to NFL.com. And, uh, and my guy, uh, Syracuse's Ifiatu Melifonwu. Uh, who's a uh, 6'2", so a big corner, 205 pounds. Uh, his 40 uh, time was 4'4", 8", uh, certainly not as fast as some of the other guys. And again, needs to be more consistent, instinctive in coverage, according to NFL.com, but uh, can be a good press corner. And uh, he, he, he reminds me a little bit of, um, of Xavier Rhodes, just with his size and, uh, and what, what I saw of him uh, over the past year, being the Syracuse fan I am and watching a couple of, couple of Syracuse games. Um, but uh, after that, a couple of Georgia cornerbacks, uh, Eric Stokes, Tyson Campbell, Stanford cornerback Paulson Adebo. Uh, Joe, from all these guys, does, en- does anybody really light your fancy there in the second or third round that, uh, that you think could be an interesting fit with the Colts? I think Kelvin Joseph sticks out in the second round, maybe at pick 54 if they don't, you know, if they get their offensive tackle round one, they like Joseph better than any of the pass rushers, and they decide they're just going to bring back Houston. Maybe they go Joseph and say, this is a guy with the athletic tools to be a very good corner in the NFL. He needs to be coached up a little bit. But with the state of the cornerback room right now, he doesn't have to play as a rookie like Rocky Yassin did. So maybe they go with him, a player with high upside. Um, And then the Georgia cornerbacks and Paulson Adebo, maybe around three or four type corner, athletic cornerback. Kind of similar that you just coach up uh, while other players on the team start. Um, a very, very deep class of corners this year. So the Colts may be able to get an enticing guy with good physical tools to coach up in rounds four, five, maybe round three if they get a third-round pick. Yeah, Chap, I think we've, we've seen, at least I've seen that in the past couple of years, that Chris Ballard isn't afraid to draft a bit of a project at cornerback. I mean, you look at Marvell Tell and a guy who's safety and they're transitioning to corner. Obviously, they took him later. I think it was in round five they took him. It's not like you're taking a full project in the second round. That's, cer- that's certainly much different, investing that type of a resource into a project-type guy. But, but they're not afraid. I, I think what I'm trying to say is they're not afraid to take a guy who's not quite ready at that position because we've seen it the past couple of years, whether it's a guy like an Eric Stokes who's an All-American-type uh, guy at Georgia but uh, like just reading up on different 
um, like different mock drafts or different analysts, they say like he's he's really handsy, and that could throw up Colts fan red flags out of seeing Rocky C in the past couple years and how handsy he has been and trying to transition to the NFL that way. But I, I like I said, I just don't think that that something like that. Uh, a physical cornerback, a press cornerback like a Stokes, like a Melifonwu out of Syracuse is going to scare Chris Ballard away from taking a corner that he thinks that can be coached up. I think he'd rather, uh, I, I, at that position, uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is I think he'd rather have a guy you have to say, whoa, than giddy up. He'd rather have a guy who's more more aggressive in that scenario based on what we've seen in the past. Yeah, talk about, take, I don't want to say taking a flyer, but they took Isaiah Rogers in round six last year. Now, probably more as a return guy, but your 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 cornerbacks you take in you know fourth round on they're going to be special teams players initially. Right, right. So, so now whether they want now whether they're in a position to, to I, I think they will take a corner because you can you know you you always try to add young depth, but they're also going to have to find a linebacker. There, there's a couple of positions they're going to have to address. So th- that's why it's going to be important maybe to get another pick or two. But uh, I, I, I feel very, very safe in saying they will bring in a corner. I think it'll be later just because of the more pressing needs higher up sooner. After cornerback, another position that could be interested, uh, the Colts could be interested in, would be tight end. And I think this points back to several things. Uh, that the past couple off seasons, the Colts have went out and signed a tight end, like an Eric Ebron or a Trey Burton, trying to pair him with Jack Doyle. And uh, succeeding for uh, was certainly in in one year in Eric Ebron, uh, and doing that. So there there comes a point where you have to ask yourself: Is this player a better fit for you than Mo Ali Cox is right now? Obviously, and this this group of tight ends is not is not a uh, jump off the page, leap off the page, tremendous group. There there's one guy, Joe, in Florida's Kyle Pitts that's going to be a top ten pick. We all imagine. Um, people think that he has the tools to be a next Darren Waller, a next Travis Kelsey, whatever it might be, but a guy who can stretch the field, a guy who can uh, stretch the middle of the field in particular, um, a big, strong, fast guy. Um, When it comes to the tight ends in this class, it is Kyle Pitts head and shoulders uh, above everyone else and then everyone else, uh, maybe second or even third round picks after that. It's like Kyle Pitts took all the talent for the entire draft class and hogged it to himself because it, it really is. It's Kyle Pitts who may be a top five pick in the NFL, which is crazy for a tight end, uh, although he's labeled a tight end. He, he's basically Calvin Johnson. I mean, 6'5", 245, 4'4", 40-yard dash. I mean, don't get me started on Kyle Pitts. If the Colts had a chance to trade up and get him, I would do it all day long regardless of the needs at left tackle defensive end. But then after that, it's really a weak tight end class. There's not a ton of depth here. There's not a ton of players that get you excited. You know, usually there's a few tight ends who are third, fourth, fifth round. You go, okay, this is a guy who has some ability. He had a good workout. Maybe he can start as a tight end too and develop into something more. There's not a whole lot of that in this draft class, but there are a few names, a few players who have potential to either be starters or really good uh, flex move tight ends kind of like Johnny Smith or a Gerald Everett formerly with the Rams I think Everett now signed with the Seahawks you know you you look at what they've got and and I always kind of you know put a caveat when I talk about the tight ends is I, I'm not knocking what they've got but but what they've got is not what they need Jack Doyle for his career is averaging 9.1 yards a catch 
his career long is 28 yards. Now, if I if I got third and seven, give me Jack Doyle. Uh, Mo Ali Cox, his best year was last year, 31 catches for 394. But they don't have that guy, you know, to the extreme of Dallas Clark, what we're used to here. Uh, I, I I just get the I get the feeling that everyone locally is waiting for the draft to get over so that they will find a way to get Zach Ertz here. It just seems like that's what everyone is is anticipating. Whether that works or not, I don't know. And maybe this is a position that Ballard and the Colts just believe the best way of doing this is go every two years or so on a, on a free agent because you've got other areas of need. And Zach Ertz is 30, 31, whatever it is, had quality years until last year when, you know, everything went wrong in Philly. I just think there's that inevitability of Zach Ertz being an Indy. That's why I'm, I'm, I I just don't see the Colts taking a tight end because in the fourth or fifth or sixth round, not only you're taking a guy late, but you're taking tight ends late who aren't considered great prospects anyway. With, uh, with Zach Ertz again, it's all important to echo that he is still – under contract with the Eagles, so you'd have but, to but give we, something but, up. But, but we can tamper, so that's fine. But no, of course, right. yes. <laughs> but you're right. Apparently, there was talk that they wanted a third round pick for him early, and that turned some teams off. They're not going to get a third for him. Once you no. tell a, you tell the league you're going to trade a guy, his value goes down. Would you give up a five or a six for Zach Ertz? I would. Yeah, I no, would too. No, knowing what I need, but you know, if you wait him out and let the Eagles. Uh, release him, you're not on the hook for, I think it's an $8.5 million base salary. But if you wait till they release him, then everybody else has a shot at him as well. Mm-hmm. You look at inline tight ends, uh, guys like Penn State's Pratt Fryermuth, Boston College's Hunter Long, um, both 6'5", 251, literally both guys 6'5", 251 pounds. Um, Fryermuth had season-ending sol- shoulder surgery in November. Um, certainly is no dynamic athlete, but uh, could be a steady, reliable starter. Um, I think he's more, though, Joe, the um, toward the, the Jack Doyle end of the spectrum than the Eric Ebron end of the spectrum for sure. sure. Hunter Long may be a little bit more the other way, um, but, but not all that too much. Still a pass-catching tight end, decent speed. Um, but uh, they say, let's see, in, in your little um, NFL.com note we have here, unskilled as a run blocker. Um, so that, that would be, that's certainly a negative for him as well. When you look at those two inline tight ends, I don't know if the Colts, like I said, I don't, I don't, I don't think a guy that is a quote unquote inline tight ends is, is what they're looking for. They're looking more for like, like chaps had a guy like a Dallas Clark who can run the seam route and get something 15, 20 yards down the field and be a threat to, to teams that way. Yeah, what they're what they're looking for is a mismatch guy, someone yeah. who who they can scheme up and go. Okay, we spread him out here. The linebacker has to come out and cover him. He can't cover him. He's too fast. So I don't think uh, they're looking for another Jack Doyle, which is kind of what the Friar Muth would be. Hunter Long a little less so, uh, a little more athletic, but he's Hunter Long isn't the kind of guy who's going to beat you with his quickness. Uh, he ran a four a seven four one three cone. We'll show you that. So I think what they're more looking for is more that move flex tight end, kind of that guy that can kind of stick in the slot like they did with Burton, do some weird stuff around the goal line with. And 
Frank Wright can kind of just have fun scheming up plays for how to use his athletic tight end. And one player who was used in a very unique way over his time at the University of Miami was tight end Brevin Jordan. I thought it was really unique that they, they used him a lot in the screen game, like the, the slip screen game or the uh, just like you would pass a regular wide receiver screen, have him roll out uh, to the side and uh, just throw it right after the snap out to your tight end there in the flat. You Something you don't see too much. And that led to him being the only tight end uh, last year with 300-plus yards after contact. So so I guess that gives you uh, some something to look forward to if, if you're the team that drafts him, Mike, that he's a tight end that can break some tackles. He's a tight end that you if he gets in space, he can make somebody miss or he can run through you at the same time. Um, his four six four forty not the fastest uh, for sure, um, but he he's shown that uh, his coaches trusted him with the ball in his hands, and if you're uh, that that could be something that's that's intriguing if you're going to take him. Yeah, this is where the NFL is going now, and it's it, everyone. Remember what we talked to Jim Irsay during the off season, and somebody asked about what they, you need to add, and he said we need a ten and an eighty seven, Tyreek Hill and and Kelsey. And that's what you want. Like Joe said, you want mismatches where where you can just exploit what a defense can't do. And that's what that move tight end does. If you've got quality people outside, you've got a good running back, the mismatch you can generally exploit is that tight end. We saw that with Ebron. Didn't see it as much as they wanted out of Burton. I suppose there's still a chance if, if nothing else happens, you can, if I'm not mistaken, Trey Burton is still out there. You You want better than that. But that, that's the position that it really gives Frank Reich that wild card on what you can really maximize with your offense. And, again, that's what they're missing, and that's what they really need to add somehow. It's really funny to me. I'll, obviously, I'll, I'll continue with this, that like sometimes it's that flex tight end that falls in the draft. Like You look at a Travis Kelsey. He was taken in the third round back in 2013. Zach Ertz was a high second-round pick. Um, and you look at a guy like George Kittle. He was taken way back in the fifth round in, uh, in 2017. So, so these guys that so, some uh, analysts or, and even teams see as um, like really need some work, well, they, they can do the work. Obviously, this isn't a perfect, uh, a perfect system. There's a lot of guys taken in the fifth or sixth round that amount to nothing in the, in the NFL, but but just because somebody gets taken that late, I mean, somebody like th- those guys, all those guys who two years ago, those three tight ends were the best in the league. I think it was uh, unmistakable. Th- they were all later picks. None of them were first round picks. So so it, it's not uncommon for these flex tight ends to be taken later in the draft, Joe, and still make a name for themselves in the NFL. Yeah, and a guy I've seen Brevin Jordan compared to a lot is one of those tight ends and Johnny Smith. And if you look at the your num the numbers there, you can see why. I mean, Brevin Jordan, six two and a half, almost six three, two hundred forty seven pounds, ran a four six four forty. You look at Johnny Smith's uh, pre draft numbers, six three two forty eight, and a four six two. So very very similar athlete profiles there. I do think Johnny Smith is a little bit more explosive. Um, he has a little more giddy up. But, yeah, that's exactly the kind of guy these players could be for you, that flex tight end who can kind of be the mismatch player for you spread out. I think teams are a little less worried about run blocking and more worried about the passing game these days. Another interesting one, name and, could and, be – go and, ahead, Mike. Go and, ahead, Mike. And, and, and one thing to keep in mind when we talk about the Colts and tight ends and Chris Ballard, it may, it may mean something, it may not. 
this is the only position he's not drafted in four years. There's not been a tight end. Uh, he's gone the free agent route, which they may do again. But, uh, again, this doesn't seem to be the kind of draft class that's going to say this is when he first, he gets his first tight end in the draft. If you look at another player who could be a flex tight end, Notre Dame's Tommy Tremble is is a possibility. Uh, 6'3", a 4'5", 40-yard dash. Um, caught only 35 balls, though, over the past two seasons. So that's the thing. His production hasn't been there. Um, and there's a good reason. In uh, 2020, stuck behind uh, last year's second-round pick Cole Komet and uh, also the freshman Michael Meyer, who had a heck of a year for Notre Dame this last year. So he's always been second fiddle there for the Irish. And you look at it and you say, hey, there's a reason he's second fiddle behind these guys because these other guys are better. So why would you spend a second-round pick or something on a guy who these other guys are clearly better than? So, um, they, but, but we're throwing it out there just because these are, these are the guys in, in this year's draft. The NFL.com note, again, if he's able to improve his hands, um, his speed and athleticism should create chunk play opportunities for him. So some, some day-two value, uh, perhaps later in day-two. Uh, Tommy Tremble to be a tight end taken off the board. Um, Joe, Joe, I assume that you think Jordan is probably the best option there for the Colts. The Tremble wouldn't uh, is not quite at the same level, but uh, I don't know. I could be wrong. Is that is that what you think? I I've seen uh, different sites have him flip flopped. Yeah, I, I yeah. prefer Brevin Jordan. Some people like Tommy Tremble. I've seen Tommy Tremble compared to. I've heard some people say he's the next Kyle Uzcheck. I've heard some people say he's more in line with Johnny Smith, kind of that move tight end. Um, he's a guy who he, he's a he's an interesting athlete, and because he was stuck behind those other t- two tight ends, you don't quite know what he is. I mean, if the Colts take this guy in like round four, they're not taking him to be their star number one do it all tight end. They're using him as kind of a tight end two or you know half a starter anyway. So I wouldn't mind maybe round four a Tommy Tremble, round four Brevin Jordan. Uh, round three seems a little rich for Trimble, but he he's a player if the Colts took round four or five, I, I would be interested in his ability if he continued to develop. A, a note there about the H-back scenario, because if you're comparing to Kyle Juszczyk, that's kind of what he is in San Francisco. If we all remember, the Colts did have Roosevelt Knicks on their roster last year as a fullback. They were going to bring in some kind of package for him, just never could get it done because of the abbreviated and lightened offseason. So maybe this offseason you try to take that plunge a little bit. If you really think that you had something going, that maybe you can get an H-back um, scheme in there and have one that works, maybe it's Tremble as the guy that you want to be that, Mike, if you really want to. Like I said, if you want to take this time to really develop this part of your offensive scheme, um, who knows if that's a Marcus Brady thing or if it's a Nick Sirianni thing and he's gone now, so now it's out the window. But it kind of depends on, obviously, what the coaching staff wants. But that 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 could be an interesting tidbit if they go with somebody like a Tremble and they want to convert him to an H-back and just add that system to the offense. Yeah, when you take a guy in a fourth round on, it's, it's there's something of a – of, of a project or development. And right. again, again, whether they think they're in a position to, to take a player or two to where they think in three years, this guy might be something fine. Uh, I just think they're more in a win now mode and they're going to be trying to find guys. I think by and large, it can help them this year and next year. Well, as we sit here right now, there are just eight days until the first round of the NFL draft. That'll come next Thursday. The Colts right now sit at 21 overall. 
course, the possibility is there to move up. Unlikely. Possibility is there to move down. A little bit more likely. I think all of us will agree. But we will certainly bring you one more Colts Blue Zone podcast. Before then, as Mike mentioned, it'll probably be heavily focused on what Colts general manager Chris Ballard has to say when he meets with the media for his pre-draft analysis and uh, just availability. So that'll be coming next week. Once again, on Wednesday is the plan for that. And uh, encourage you to subscribe to this Colts Blue Zone podcast. Get us delivered to your podcast listening device as soon as the pod comes out. So for Mike Chappell and Joe Hopkins, that is at mchapel 51 and at Roto Street Joe. I'm Dave Griffiths. You can follow me at Dave G underscore sports. And we do thank you for listening to this Colts Blue Zone podcast. We will see you next week. NFL Draft Week.